when the, seven month, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feasts of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they, gath- they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidians and the, t- the tyrants to bring their cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua and his sons and his brothers and Kadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The word of the Lord. Once again, I'm Howard Brown, a pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we continue in our sermon series in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Last week, we uh, saw how God stirred the hearts of the king of Persia and his own people and took history itself and moved it around to bring his people back to Jerusalem out of exile to rebuild the temple of the Lord. The Bible tells us that a little less than 50,000 returned to rebuild the temple and reinstitute the sacrificial system and formal worship of God. Understand that while uh, in exile, there were no sacrifices allowed to God. Of course, the people of God could pray and sing and and even tell the story of their redemption. And I'm, I'm sure that they heard from the prophets we have in the Bible. But for the most part, regular worship service did not happen for about 70 years. And this is partly due to the Babylonian attack 
on Israel and destruction of the temple, but in larger part because God's word did not allow Jews to do altar sacrifice and for priests to conduct sacred services anywhere. Location, exact location, mattered. And so what you see in our reading is the description and and story how they first rebuilt the altar of sacrifice where the priest would take the sacrifice that the people would bring to the temple and kill and or burn them to the Lord. The altar was the first and necessary piece in rebuilding the temple and worship. And then secondly, you see that they rebuild the foundation of the temple where the priests would do all of their priestly rituals and, and would go in with the sins of his people before and meet God for forgiveness and, and hope and, and the feeling that they were still God's people. And these re-foundation laying acts of God's people, having returned from exile, we see and learn what makes a sure foundation. A sure foundation of building and and maintaining and and rebuilding a lasting relationship between you and God. Like these Israelites, many if not most of us are looking for change. For better, even if we don't know what better is. For new direction And hope from a season of hardship or or silence we feel spiritually from God or, or sin struggle in our relationship with God. When it comes to seeking God, as we can learn from this text to build and and rebuild our lives on a lasting and sure foundation, we must first trust and obey God's template for building and rebuilding our lives. And secondly, we must rightfully acknowledge our faultiness. And finally, we must lean on God's enduring love for us. Trust and obey God's template. Rightfully acknowledge our faultiness and lean on God's enduring love. You know when you're in trouble. I know when I'm in trouble. When putting together or fixing something at home. When you say without really reading the directions step by step, just sort of looking at the picture and then looking at the thing you're supposed to put together, and you say, oh, I see how this works. Inevitably, you're going to end up at that line at Ikea for the new pieces or at David Sparks getting him to fix your car that you broke, or in that return line at Lowe's having repackaged the broken item you broke, claiming it just broke on me. Can I get another one? What's wrong with it, sir? I I don't know. It must be the manufacturer's issue. Can I get a new one? The God of Bible... God of the Bible wants us to not have to stand in the line of returns and regrets of those who have tried and failed and failed to fix and repair their and others' lives because they've tried to do it on their own, in their own direction, and in their own way, in their own guesses of how to do it. But he wants us to stay in line with him, following his template for redemption. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, 
The people gathered as one man at Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jezadak, <coughs> with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiphiel, with, with his kinsmen. And, and they built the altar of God, the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings from morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule at each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and, and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. Now, what I want you to see in this passage is they're clear words like, as it is written, and appointed, and rules, and required, and regular. Success in rebuilding the altar, temple, and reinstituting worship of God rightly and his people being in right relationship with him properly was all about doing what God said in his word. And I am sure, having been in Babylon for 70 years, that they saw some incredible and innovative spiritual life skills. And, and they probably had these Persian and Babylonian life coaches. And, 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 but their salvation by God insisted that regardless of where they had been before or what the world had told them, that they look to his word for direction. My commentaries made a big deal about the fact that they built the altar in the same exact spot as the first one. Now, when they destroyed the altar, there's probably little burn marks and, and a little, you know, template or divot in the ground. You know, in, in the house we live in now, you can tell where they had the little uh, fire pit because the dirt and all kind of weird around it. But they're, I mean, they built the footings on the same one, and the recording of this exactness is so seriously reflected by the way the author of Ezra wrote it that it is almost a copy of the description we have of the altar when it was built the first time and the foundation when it was built the first time. This is not a forgery of what happened the first time. This is what it looks like when God's people called to build and rebuild their lives by him regardless of the era or dilemma or situation or culture of people around them or technology they found themselves in. It, this is what it looks like when we trust our lives to what God has said in the Bible, in his word, taking him at his word. I've heard it and I've thought it. Not that old tired Bible again. You know, we make jokes, right? Well, I'm going through this. Well, oh, Lord, here come the Bible. Again. I just need to find a perfect and, and right counselor. Or friendship. Or bettering my position in this life. 
You don't understand, Pastor Brown. My life is filled with all sorts of new challenges. I am living and have lived a little extra raw over the past years. My life and situation is complicated. It's unlike anything you've seen, Pastor Brown. The, the pain and anger I feel is off the scales. No one understands me, right? I'm the worst Bible-following and reading person in history. And the Word is teaching here that even if all of that is true, the same spoken and given words of God and all that it teaches here, that even if all that's true, it is true and applicable to your situation. We might change. Circumstances might change. Intensity of our issues and what is important in this world might change. But whether it is on your smartphone or or on a projector or on a computer pad or hologram, the word of God is a sure, never-changing hope for us to turn and return to when we have issues. I went to the dentist for the first time in over a decade because I've been taking care of my own teeth. <laughs> That's right. I'm competent in a lot of things. Now, what's wrong with me if I can't take care of my own teeth? So I've been taking care of my own teeth. I've been my own dentist and hygienist for the last decade. My parents made me go when I was younger. They didn't know I could take care of my stuff. I went to enough dental appointments to know what they do and do it myself. Before the hygienist could even open her mouth and look into mine, I opened mine and I said, I know what you're going to tell me. I need to floss, right? Because, you know, I have this fancy electric toothbrush and the expensive bacterial whitening mouthwash. So come on. You still have to floss? I almost pulled out Allen Iverson. Floss? We're talking about floss, man. <laughs> floss? It's so inconvenient. We're talking about that string that goes in between your teeth to the gums. That little string going in between your teeth is still the indispensable as far as caring for your teeth and gums way to make sure I don't have to pay the extra money to make you fix it. And of course, you hear the little anecdotes that I heard when I went to the doc dentist as a kid. They said, well, you only have to floss the ones you want to keep. Ha ha. (laughs) The problem is some of us flossing, but we ain't flossing. Some of us look fine. We take care of lives, but we're really not using God's word. How true and sure is it that the same old word of God is used to change lives? Completely true and sure. And not to believe and listen and apply it will cause our lives and certain parts of our lives to appear beautiful, okay, on the surface. But our hearts of faith are filled with holes, with cavities and decay. And we have lives where the foundation of our decisions are doing and, and building on a rotten and rotting lie. I was smiling going into that dentist's office, but I wasn't smiling coming out. They were clicking and clacking and digging all over the place. You know it's bad when, like, hey, come see this. (laughs) The Bible teaches here that they didn't only just read and hear the word of God, they actually went through the motions. Hear this. 
They gave all they had, and then they let their emotions get the best of them in obeying and trusting God. The feast they celebrate in verses 4 through 6 that you read about, here were their versions of Harvest Fest and other feasts, and they would live in booths signifying God's protection during during their tent-dwelling wandering in the desert before they had homes and land and the promised land. And then at this Harvest Fest, they would have these lavish displays of farming to, to show what God had done. And then they did these sacrifices of that stuff to show thanks to God for providing in the past. And then it would also be like a prayer and and trust and asking God to, as you've done it in the past, do it for the coming season. And there is no other way to describe it. As I read it here and then I went back and read it in the other part of the Bible, there is no other way to describe it. It was largely a show. Y'all, a holy drama. It was a call to go through the motions, to do a directed and scripted from the Bible, act of worshipful obedience before God and to the world. This was not what most of us would call as authentic or spontaneously spiritual. This is doing it by the book. And trust and obedience that God would visit and be happy with them as they did it. And then look at verse 6 and 7. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to, grant, to the grant that they had from King Cyrus. The Bible says that they did this. Look at verse 3. I don't think 6 and 7 was really what I wanted. But look at verse 3. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. They do all of this. Get this. Holy dramatic act around building ruins in front of curiously skeptical and scary people living around them. Y'all might be too young when I use this little joke antidote about what we call to do. This is like doing a flash mob at the mall, at the mall, right? With Amy Grant's Father of Light shine down on me. Let the people see. That we as a church are going to show our love for God by going out and, and doing mime in the mall and all this. Thank you, God. And being, thinking we're being relevant by doing it. Don't worry. I'm not going to do it. We're not going to go up in our matching fluorescent shirts and khaki pants and do it in the mall. No, we're not. And if y'all do it, don't put our church name on it. Just y'all do it. <laughs> but it's easy to laugh because we... We don't like going through the motions. And then the Bible says that when the foundation was laid, again in its exact location on the old template, this happened. Look at verse 10 with me. And when the builders, this is sometime later when they finally got it all together. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, Asaph with cymbals to, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel, they sang, right? And all the people shouted. 
with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. And they said it was so loud you could hear it afar off. Okay. They're all dressed up. They got a band over a foundation that they scrape up the money to build and they make a big, everyone notice a celebration over a foundation built on top of a ruin that, get this, according to the tears of the older Jews, wouldn't and didn't look as glorious as the first and would always be a reminder of the mistakes and failure of the first and awesome one to stand. And they give all they are and have and sing and shout and get emotional over redone, ruined remix. Why was what they did authentic? And sure, it's just not scientific. You're going to build on a ruin. Why is a ruin there? Because it messed up the first time. It don't make sense. Because they were expressing trust and being blatantly obedient to God's plan and word in the belief that God alone would and did and could provide all they needed to be and continue to survive as a people. That if he did it before, he would do it again. And if he did it before, he is still doing it now, let me say this. Our degree of faith in God is apparent, right? It is seen. It's out here. We like for it to be up here in our, you know, nasal gate, navel gazing kind of mind. We, we want it all up here, right? But let me tell you, it is seen by how deeply and consistently and passionately we give ourselves to the emotions and emotions of worshiping and obeying him. And yes, it's the new millennium. And this is a sermon about going through the motions. We don't go through the motions anymore. Yes, this is a sermon about going through the motions, and later in Ezra we'll see how going through the motions is not enough all the time, but don't go there yet, because I know you're going there already. We talk about going through the motions, but we know that's not the heart. We're not there yet. As easy as it is when you hear this, these people forced and allowed themselves to point to what was true, even if they weren't feeling it. They got dressed up and went to church and sang and showed up to worship with a heart of expectation. They were the opposite of most of us, myself included. That we can be often cynical and existential and questioning everyone's authenticity. That we are overread and nuanced and undertouched. That we are controlling, not quite going all out, worried about being acceptable to this world. I come into church and I'm always thinking, never really responding, rawly, right? Responding openly. <coughs> and others of us who have been believers for a while are asking, look, I am. I've been a believer like little boys, like these little boys. Why celebrate and go out for a restart? 
for a rebuild, a retry and reboot all over again with a heart of wide open hope over something like this temple that failed the first time around. Why trust God again? Why try so hard like this the first time? Why have the same heart and emotions? Every week, why trust God for your marriage? Here it goes again, same problems, or your second marriage. Or why keep going after another setback in your life or or keep going through Christian motions and emotions and giving to him when you're still single or single again or can't get pregnant or or money can't work out. Why go to all of this church stuff? You've been deceived and hurt and unserved in the past, right? The community groups are learning communities and I promise will sometimes be routine and boring. Why keep Doing devotion with your kids, I do with mine, and the lights don't seem to be on sometimes. God says this, "Uh uh-huh. Y'all want to read the Bible? Yeah, Daddy. Like, we'll do it for you. Boys, time to put down the game controllers. Let's do that. Oh, Daddy. I take my boy and two other boys in the car with me to school, pick them up in our neighborhood, and we do a little daily Bible reading, and then I talk about it. And I'm like, oh, man, these kids going to hate me. Some of you know, I got sports talk radio going. It's sports talk radio, and it's the Bible. It's not sports talk radio the week after we lose, but a sports talk radio, as long as we're winning, in the Bible. I turn that sports talk radio, gets real quiet, put my cell phone, get the Bible up, and start hanging around to the boys in the car. And I'm thinking, this is crazy, the way they read it. Okay. Boys, let me tell you what God's saying. And I'm feeling silly. Why do it? The lights don't seem to be on, right? Why do this? You know, oh, you need to pray together as a couple. You need to do why? So hard. Family worship, stuff like that. Why? It's so hard. The lights never go on. People want to hurry up and get out of there. If someone's like, let's do family worship, even if I said, let's do family worship, I'll be the first one to make it quick. <laughs> Why come to church and confess your sins when we are angry and feel, we feel like we're angry and we feel mistreated and sinned against and less like the sinner? Why lose stability and control and worldly common sense and eyes of those around you? Why follow those overly emotional people like my wife and music that calls me to sing and shout and raise my hands? Why go through the motions and give God my emotions? Why go through this very liturgical, all the words written out, repetitious, repetitious responsively like they did in verse 11 of chapter? I was looking at verse 11 in this book, and they have the song here. Where's the rest of the song, man? Wait, so they all got dressed up in vestments. They got the trumpets. They got the cymbals. Everybody showed up, about 50,000 people, and they got one verse. And y'all get upset sometimes, you know, oh man, how many times are we going to sing the same thing? You mean we came to church to sing one verse? And they did it. They made a full day out of one verse. Like the old school church, right? I got a testimony for the Lord in the song. Oh Lord, it's going to be a one hour, one verse worship service. I've been in them. 
waiting for somebody to get a testimony or prophecy or something. It always happens. I've been in those things. Why do it with all of your heart, strength, mind, and body, putting it all out there, betting the house like the old school Christians call stepping out on faith? Because God promises to show up and provide there in your obedience and trust to his word like nowhere else. Obeying and trusting him according to his word lays a foundation for him to show up in the radically routine practice of a radical faith. But what about the fact that as we, as, as we trust and obey, we are filled with failures and faultiness? I know that's coming, right? It's in my mind already as I'm preaching. We sin. And we have a God we can't control. Right? So we pray and he don't do what we want. And it seemed like he's not answering because he won't answer the way we want, when we want. We don't ignore it or pretend it. It's not there, the Bible is teaching us. We must rightfully acknowledge our brokenness. Two things are going on here. First, there's fear as they put the altar up because there are people who are there who are not with them, who are hanging around. Verse 3, you just don't know if they don't or won't like it. It may attack this small group of returnees. So they quickly build the altar, the Bible says, in belief, I believe in part to show these folk that they have a powerful God on their side, see the altar, and so that God will be pleased and in turn protect them from the evil world around them and their faith. So the altar building is a recognition. We're afraid out here, man. We worship you because we're scared. It's a broken world. And then what I want to focus on more, there is weeping as loud as they're shouting when the foundation is laid. Look at verse 12 with me. But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The consensus on this weeping is that these old heads Remember the glory of the first temple and how building on the remnants of the first are not nearly as perfect and glorious as the first. Along with that, they are remembering the damage of the first. It was 9-11 week. I was watching news and they were highlighting the new building at Ground Zero in New York City. And I went and visited there a few years ago and I vividly remember when, when I... When I was walking from my friend's house and going to the subway station, I vividly remember when I went there during construction of the new building foundation, I couldn't see and get encouraged by the coming glory. They had the pictures of the new building going, coming glory of the new without being weighted and bothered by what went down. The actual construction drew my attention to the sorrow of 9-11. Like our own 9-11's new building situation, this, it is, this is a bittersweet foundation laying. You know, though we are called by Scripture to go through holy motion and emotions of trust to God, the pain and suffering and fear of the world and what our own sin can do and has done and what people have done to us and what, what we have been through is real. I'm not asking you to go through the motions and pretend. Some of us, some of you have had some devastating histories. Yes, even with your religion and God all in the mix. But not just that. Those who tear that back to the Jerusalem who saw the first temple knew, get this now, that contrary to poppy belief, the first temple obviously was not the saving grace. 
Though it was as perfect as something imperfect could be when they built it the first time, they knew better than most that day that their sin and surrounding enemies, that it could take the glory away from the second temple like it did the first. And in this less than glorious second temple, why have a better and new hope and not just cry about what the dark past and its present act has brought back up? you're like them. It is near impossibly hopeful after you've experienced failure and fault in the past. You've tried to get right with God. Some of you, you've, you, you've gone through some motions and emotions and, and, and it looked like things were right. And, and you know, I, I hear people say it and, and I think about it all my time, my, my, all the time. I look back when I first became a believer and I'm like, man, if I could only be like that again. You know, when you, when, when you first come to Christ, they say that you, the, the reason you feel good about yourself is your sins, you know, your, your, your view of your sins is small. <laughs> and you go through life as a believer and you go through the rigors and the mess. It gets hard. But not because God lets you down. I mean, though you and I like to impulsively and angrily say and think when things don't work out that God has forgotten to let you down, you know he has not. Well, if you don't know, I'm going to let you know he didn't. He's God. He's God. If there is a fault or faultiness, the fact is, we, the, the truth is, you and I, our lack of belief that God will remeet us and redeem us, rebuild us and help us because of sin is the problem. That's what happened. We failed. It was our faultiness and evil that let us down and caused our ruin, not God. So the, the old guys are seeing these young people build a temple and they're all excited in their faith. And the old guys are saying, oh my God. Please don't let them think that the glory is in the temple. We're crying because we know it isn't. We saw the first one with Solomon. We saw it in all its glory. And then we saw it taken down to nothing. It's not the temple. And these sacrifices and tears say sin is real. That our sin is real. They, they declare and confess rightfully, acknowledge before God that we are broken people in a broken world in need of an awesome God. But the good news is this. God is not lost in our ruins. He is not the temple. Or trapped or lost in the temple. Or history of defeat that Israel had for seven years. He was not lost in a religion built and that can be ruined by our hands. And as faithfully and lovingly as we try to live this life, our faithful commitment and trust and all the motions, though important, are not what's ultimately going to have God powerfully work and act and stay on your behalf. So yes, we cry and confess to God for the seriousness of what sin can do and how evil this world can do be. But we are called to do it with hope. Not despair, because as verse 11 says, God's steadfast love endures forever. Get this. The word endures meant this to them and should mean this for us. That though true, God was not lost or destroyed in the ruin, 
and ruins of our broken and sinful and painful lives, he did experience, and guess what? His love endured it. The temple went down because of their sin. The temple went down because of evil people. But God's love for his people did not. That is the foundation. That is the foundation. Not that they built the foundation in in real time and space as important as that is a manifestation of God's work in their lives. The true foundation is his love that never left them. In Jesus, God let the ruins and ruin of your life collapse in on him. He let Jesus be jeered and shamed by your and his enemies. He took it when you and I turned our backs on God. Jesus became all that we cry over and hate about ourselves in this world. He took on the memorial of a dark and bloody and hateful and, and wish you could forget that that has happened to you in your history. He took away your sins and made a way, a new beginning and continuing lasting relationship between you and God and a way and place for you to meet and truly know him now. And it is bittersweet, the cross of Jesus. Because we look at the cross of Christ, we cry for the horror and fear that the cross is and what it points to in our disobedience. But at the same time, it is our freedom to trust and obey again and again and again. They put Jesus in the ground, in a tomb. But his love for you endured and endures forever. So you can get up, you can celebrate, you can go through the motions, you can put your emotions in it, you can trust God wholeheartedly. You can come back again, even though the first time it failed and you messed up and didn't stick with the study or the plan or the discipline or whatever. Yeah, you're going to mess it up. But his love endures even that. That's why you celebrate. That is a sure foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Build on 